The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So good morning, everyone. It's lovely to see you all and to be here again. Just a brief reading before I start. The art of meditation removes separation so that we can return to our basic nature and truly know it. Meditation has nothing whatever to do with self-improvement. It is an extraordinarily deep, prayerful experience, and its purpose is to become one with the cosmic Buddha. That's by uh, Roshi Kennett, who is a, a Zen Roshi. I'm not even sure if she's still alive. But anyway, this morning I would like to say a few things about truth or truths, authenticity, honesty, integrity. And I'd like to suggest that what I say be a catalyst for you to explore truth for yourself. You know, the Buddha suggested that we should not take anything just because he said so, or because another teacher said so, or because it makes sense, (laughs) or because it's written down. We should check it out for ourselves. So I'd like to encourage you to take what I say as inspiration for making your own exploration of truth or truths. So there's two main points that I'd like to make. One is that truth is dynamic, and we'll explore that a bit. Truth is dynamic. It's not one thing. It's not solid and forever. The other is... The idea of authenticity, of ourselves being authentic. What does that mean? How are we authentic and how are we not? So when I suggest that truth is dynamic, that it's not one thing, it's not solid and lasting, it's constantly changing or maybe expanding. And that may seem a bit heretical or uh, surprising to you because certainly in our culture we think of truth as being (laughs) one thing. We think the truth. And uh, to suggest that it's changing might sound a bit shady or a bit slippery. Um, And, of course, that's not what I mean at all. But when we look realistically at truth, when we look more deeply, when we listen more deeply, we see that truth is constantly expanding. As we learn more, as we understand more, It's not that reality changes, but our understanding of what's happening changes. So we tend to latch on to beliefs or views or ideas as being truth. And it can shake us up to be told and to realize that beliefs are not true. They may be, but they aren't necessarily. They're beliefs. So by their very nature, they're open (laughs) to change. Now, I know, I know there are many groups that would totally disagree with me and say that their belief is true. And I also know that, that it can be very unsettling 
for people to hold or understand that beliefs are not necessarily true. It can feel very ungrounded um, not to have something to hold on to. But I think that's the challenge in our practice. How do we understand beliefs as beliefs or views as views and not grasp onto them? I had one person tell me a year or two ago that um, she would hold on to a belief because it made her feel better. And I said, even if it's not true? And she said, yeah. And I think that's so important. I think that's often what we tend to do. If, if a belief makes us feel better, then we're going to hold on to it, even if there may turn out to be evidence that it's not true. It's so unsettling. It's so uncomfortable to live with with not knowing if something is true or not. That sometimes we will hold on to something even if we find out that it may not be true. There are many views and many perspectives. All of us are different. All of us have different ways of seeing things. And who's to say that how I see it is better than how you see it, or how you see it is better than how someone else sees it? It's when we hold on to a particular perspective or view that conflict happens. People argue and sometimes kill in the name of a belief or a view or a perspective. So what I'd like to suggest is that we keep an open mind and that we are open to views, um, ideas, understandings, changing. Now, to have an open mind doesn't mean that anything and everything new or everything that we're told we automatically accept. In fact, it means the opposite that we don't automatically reject anything that we're told or that we learn, but that we check it out. It may, on the surface, seem totally absurd, but if we check it out, we may find there are particles, (laughs) there are threads of truth in it. Uh, I'm reminded of what the Dalai Lama said, that if science proves Buddhism wrong, Buddhism must change. That's pretty radical, isn't it, for a religious leader to say that. Of course, I don't know what it is about Buddhism that science could prove wrong, since Buddhism is not a dogma and doesn't hold to any particular... um, Uh, understanding. But it's that idea that if Buddhism in some way should be proven wrong, then Buddhism must change. That's being willing to hold and to live the mystery. Life in many ways is a mystery. There are many, many things that we don't understand. And 
that, again, can be very uncomfortable. We, as human beings, like to understand. We like to know. (laughs) And when we can't know or we don't understand, it can be very, very uncomfortable. Fortunately, uh, for me, through this practice, I have become more and more comfortable with don't know. Don't know mind or the mystery. Living with the mystery. And that doesn't make me inert (laughs) or um, wishy-washy or whatever um, we might say. In fact, in a way, it's more challenging. In a way, it, it makes me wrestle with things. You know, this practice puts a lot of responsibility on us. It's up to us. The Buddha pointed the way. Teachers point the way. But as they say in Zen, the finger pointing at the moon is not the moon. (laughs) You can point at the moon, but that's not the moon. And so teachers can point us, can point out truths, if you will, to us. But it's up to us to delve into them and to understand and see things as clearly as we can. And when we can't, live the mystery. I actually find it much more enjoyable, much more freeing than having to always know or understand So one way, one example of how we latch on to a truth, and, and this may be a bit unsettling, but in the U.S., when the U.S. was founded, we decided, or the founding people decided, that democracy was the best form of government. And we fought for our independence so we could have democracy, right? And then, down the road, (laughs) in the 50s, we decided communism was bad. In fact, evil, we said. And we nearly, (laughs) we nearly destroyed ourselves over it. But what if it isn't so black and white? Have you ever considered? What are the benefits of communism? What are the disadvantages of democracy? Because there are. (laughs) There are disadvantages. And there are advantages of communism. It's not so black and white as we have made it. It depends, in both cases, it depends on how it's instituted, how it's carried out, how, um, how rulers rule, etc. It's not quite so obvious as we like to think. So just consider that, you know. You don't have to see it one way or the other. But just consider. When I first read about communism, and I don't think it was Mein Kampf, I can't remember what, how I read it, but, you know, many, many years ago when I was young, my first reaction was, that's just like Christianity. <laughs> Now, of course, in many ways, it's different. But there was that kernel, that kernel of taking care of each other, of being concerned for everybody, that I found very, very 
appealing and astonishing, actually, at that time. So can we, can we listen deeply, look deeply, and not divide things up so rigidly. (laughs) We tend to put labels on things and then we hold tightly to those labels. I think one of the best things we could do is let go of the labels. I was listening to something on the news last night. I don't remember exactly what it was. But it was so clear that the commentator or the reporter was discussing things in terms of labels. And, and I thought, would you just drop the label and describe what's happening? <laughs> because the label, of course, is a spin. The label is a way of suggesting it's this way. And I think I wasn't necessarily agreeing. But could we just describe what's happening and let us decide what we think about that instead of automatically imposing the label, which automatically categorizes and can set up, oh, yeah, I agree, or oh, no, I disagree. So we want to be open-minded, be aware of the big picture, and not be deluded not be ignorant, not turn away from. You know, that's the definition of ignorance, turning away from, not seeing something. And it doesn't matter what it is. We don't, ha- we don't have to see just what we agree with. Um, can we see it all and hold it all? So I say this because I don't want you to get the impression I'm being Pollyannish or not recognizing that, of course, there are things that we don't support or we don't like or we think are not ethical. But can we be open? You know, in this practice, we say there's nothing, nothing, that is not okay. When we meditate, there's nothing we have to push away. It doesn't matter. The strongest, the ugliest, the whatever emotion or thought or whatever comes to mind, we don't have to push it away. In fact, the practice is not pushing it away. The practice is, oh, oh, oh. Seeing it all, seeing it clearly. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to go out and act on our hatred or uh, something else, but we don't have to push it away. We can see it and hold it all. And then we have choice. If we push it away, we don't have choice. But if we hold it all, then we have choice. So, We talk about my truth, your truth, discovering the truth, and how important it is that each one of us discover our truth. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that my truth is different from your truth. It might be, it might not be. But my truth means that I have explored, I have studied it, and embodied it. I have made it my truth. And the same with you, that you have explored, you have studied, and you have made it your truth. That's what the Buddha called on us to do. So how do we do this? How do we explore? How do we check out? Well, by practicing. (laughs) we practice we 
learn, we look deeply, we listen deeply, and we develop discernment. That is, the wisdom to see clearly, to see what, we often say, what leads to suffering, what leads to happiness. And often it means don't know. Don't know mind is very, very valuable. It's not always comfortable, but it's very valuable to have don't know mind. I don't know. Suzuki Roshi said, in the expert's mind, there are few possibilities. In the beginner's mind, there are many. So beginner's mind can be like don't know mind. If we don't know, then we're open to all the possibilities. When we become an expert and we know, then we close down. And there aren't so many possibilities. So just on a personal note, um, this is one of the advantages I have found in growing older. <laughs> uh, as I grow older, I find that it's easier to have don't know mind. It's easier to let go of a lot of thoughts, ideas, etc., that I held so tightly when I was younger. You know, when you're young, you're ambitious, you've got a lot to prove, a lot to do, etc. And as you get older, I find anyway, that kind of falls away. There's not the need to do so much or succeed so much or be any certain way. As we get older, we can just be. We can relax. So this leads me to the second major point, which is authenticity. Authenticity in ourselves. Often we recognize authenticity in somebody else. We can't always describe it so perfectly, but we have a sense, don't we, when somebody is being authentic and when they're not. Authenticity I am using to mean that we are who we are, (laughs) that we're not trying to be someone or something that we're not. We are truly ourselves. Pema Chodron says, Our true nature is not some ideal that we have to live up to. It's who we are right now. And that's what we can make friends with and celebrate. Who we are right now. That's our true nature. And of course, that changes. Who we are right now is not necessarily who we are an hour from now. It might be, but it might not be. Being authentic means recognizing and accepting who we are right now. If I'm angry right now, that's who I am. Well, let me correct that. (laughs) I am not my anger. But if I have anger right now, that's how it is. I have anger. Now, I don't necessarily need to tell anybody or everybody, but it's important that I recognize and I notice there's anger here. Because if I don't, then it will probably spew out. But if I am aware of it, then I can be very careful about how I am or any other emotion. So 
I have a cute, I think, a cute little story, short story, uh, to this point. And it's actually, this is from a talk by Ajahn Pasano, who is the abbot at Abayagiri in uh, um, Ukiah. And his teacher was Ajahn Chah in Thailand. So he's particularly talking about views and beliefs, but um, I think it works well also for our true nature. Ajahn Chah used to illustrate this tendency by using the simile of ducks and chickens. A villager seeing ducks and chickens may start to think and wonder, these ducks walk funny. They're not very dignified. Why aren't they more like chickens? Chickens can walk and run really well. Ducks make this funny noise, quack, quack. It's not a very beautiful sound at all. Why can't they sound more like chickens? Chickens can crow and everything. We spend a lot of time and energy asking and demanding. Why aren't ducks more like chickens? Ducks should be more like chickens. If you start really investigating (laughs) the feelings of anxiety, worries, and aversions that we have, it all amounts to trying to make ducks like chickens and trying to make chickens like ducks. It is such an extraordinary waste of time and energy and actually kind of stupid. But we do it all the time, and we justify it and become righteous because it feels right. (laughs) So we do that with views, but don't we also do it with ourselves? Why can't I be more like (laughs) whatever? Or often it's, why can't you be more like me? (laughs) That would be more comfortable, right? But when you hear the simile, it becomes obvious how silly it is. Or sometimes I use the example of flowers. You know, why can't a rose be more like a daisy? (laughs) Because a rose is a rose and a daisy is a daisy. And we too. Each one of us we could say, is a gift to this world. And it's important that each one of us be authentically who we are. Unfortunately, in our culture, there's often not a lot of support for that. There's a lot of pressure to be this way or be that way or do this or do that, to be successful, to make money, to whatever. And... If you're happier not being on that track, (laughs) but enjoying life, well, then you're lazy or you're (laughs) somehow not so wise or whatever. And there isn't often, there is some, of course, but often there isn't a lot of support for each of us being the unique individual that we are. But our world needs each one of us and needs each one of us to be who we are. So what makes that so hard besides the idea that that, um, that there's so much encouragement to be something else? As I think about it, I think in many ways it's fear. Fear keeps us, uh, maybe from my own experience, keeps us from being who we are. Fear of what? Fear of non-acceptance. Fear of not being loved. Fear of not succeeding. When I was young, it was very clear it was very clearly told to me <laughs> how I should be, or, or maybe more how I shouldn't be. It was very important to my mother that I be a certain way and that I be accepted. 
And I'm sure there were many reasons for that, including that she was, you know, the daughter of immigrants. And it was very important at that time for immigrants to be totally accepted and, and uh, you know, involved in American life. And so I wasn't often who I truly was. Uh, there was a, you know, a, a, a form of, of pretending to be something. Unfortunately, over the years, that has fallen away. <clears throat> but I know I'm not alone in that. I know many people, maybe particularly women, um, we grew up believing that we needed to be a certain way. We needed to be liked. We needed to be popular. We needed to be attractive to men, and <laughs> on and on and on. Um, fortunately, that's changing. And now perhaps there's more acceptance for us to be just exactly who we are. So this from a, uh, a daily Tao reading. You could labor ten years under a master trying to discern whether the teachings are true. But all you might learn is this. One must live one's own life. We must each live our own life. And I think that's in many ways both the good news and the bad news. It's very freeing. But it also, again, puts the responsibility back on us. How do we live authentically who we are. So then it becomes our quest for truth that is important. Not the truth. I think the only time there is the truth is the ultimate, the ultimate truth. Otherwise, in this relative world, there are many truths and there are many facets to the truth. And our job is to see them, to see those facets, to see those perspectives as clearly as we can and not grab on to any of them, but hold them lightly. We're encouraged in this practice to hold views lightly. That doesn't mean we don't have them. It doesn't mean that that we don't follow them, that we aren't dedicated but we hold them lightly. We're willing to change when new information comes in or when things change, because they will, right? We know that. Things are changing all the time as science discovers new things. Um, All of the sciences, geology, uh, medicine, Um, They're all changing all the time. At one point, you know, medicine says, this is how it is. And then 10 years later, it says, oh, no, no, we didn't realize, da-da-da-da-da-da. You know? My daughter is about to be ordained a unity minister. And so she's been doing a lot of Bible study and that kind of thing. And it's very interesting, she tells me from time to time, um, you know, how this discovery changes the understanding and how that, you know, turns out to be a little different. Unity is very progressive, very um, open-minded. And and it's very fascinating how... uh, you know, studying um, the context, 
for a lot of what was written in the Bible, understanding what some of the uh, phrases, how they were interpreted, how they can be interpreted, etc., can open up a whole new understanding of something. And, you know, I think it's unfortunate that there are so many... um, so many groups that aren't open to that, that whatever interpretation they have adopted, that's it, period. But fortunately, there are other groups that are much more open and much more willing to accept a new interpretation. I, um, I have done a lot of interfaith work and... Uh, have come to know and appreciate many Jews and Judaism. And one of the things that uh, my Jewish friends love to say is, where there are two Jews, there are three opinions. And we always enjoy that. We always laugh because it points to the openness of Judaism that people can have very different ideas, very different interpretations, very different understandings, and get along, or, and still be Jewish. Not always true in other groups, hopefully also true in Buddhism. So, For me, living an authentic life is being open, being willing to be challenged, being willing to see things more clearly, understand things more deeply, and change as things change. So I live more freely, I live more openly, I hold things more lightly, And in many ways, it makes life a lot more fun. So you've all been listening very attentively. (laughs) And I would love to hear some of your thoughts, reactions, responses. And Maureen will pass the microphone. Uh, what you said about the Dalai Lama has uh, put me in mind of um, something that he said, that um, he loves science and he's always very um, inquisitive about it since he was young. And when he was in Tibet, um, somebody gave him a telescope and he was looking at the moon and discovered himself that there were, the craters had shadows. And the belief, long-standing cosmology of the um, heavens and universe was that the moon was a heavenly body that had light that was uh, uh, projected light. And um, he thought that if there were shadows in the craters, then there must be an external source of light and not an internal source of light. And so he told his um, teacher that about his discovery, and his teacher turned to him and said, oh, well, Buddhism is wrong. And they changed the, the Buddhist um, belief about cosmology based on that. <laughs> I was going to say, wrong about what? Uh, wrong wrong about, about the moon having its in- own, so being a source of light. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Dalai Lama is a wonderful example of being willing to change. Yeah. Thank you, Randy. <laughs> 
So as a practicing professional scientist, um, <laughs> I sort of find myself explaining science a lot. And there seems to be this stereotype that we decide what is, and then we close our minds shut. Mm -hmm. And this is the opposite of scientific method. And there's a wonderful quote from Einstein, who was an active pacifist, and he protested against military invention in World War I. And then he came to America to escape the Nazi regime and very strongly advocated military intervention. And people got on his case. They said, you're, um, you're being a hypocrite. Mm. And he said, I have updated my theory <laughs> based on new data. And I think that is exactly what scientific method is, yeah. rather than this is this, this is not anything but this, we will not change. Yeah, yeah. And, and in fact, we'll take everything in and, and coalesce it in such a way to prove this. Yes, and some things have withstood that test so often that we have more confidence in them than in other things. Uh, yeah. And and this is a a reasonable confidence to have. We don't we don't think it's very likely that gravity will turn out to be a hoax. <laughs> I did read something about gravity recently though. I can't remember what it was. Nobody's going to argue with me? <laughs> not an, it might not be an argument. I don't think it is. Um, just an elaboration. It's interesting when you started off um, talking about communism and, and democracy. And in my mind, it's always been that theoretically, democracy could embrace most of the tenets of communism if, if we all decided we wanted that. Right. Yeah, that, that was it. <laughs> yeah, and, um, and also what you said about Christianity. I always, um, about communism having, it's a version of Christianity, except, of course, the, um, the hardcore belief that you can't have religions. And I, <laughs> yeah. I always, I, I'm doing some readings for Lent, and, um, and one of them was about how after Christ died, all the followers came, and if anyone had anything, they sold it and, um, and helped support the group of disciples. I thought, my God, it's socialism. It's right there. And why are so many Christians saying this is anti-Christian? So. Yeah, it's just good examples of how we, we latch on to something. Mm -hmm. And when we do, then there's no space for the new data or the new understanding. Yeah. yeah, I appreciated the talk on many <laughs> different levels. Thank you. I also appreciated and found your point of truth being dynamic from a perspective, like different people's perspectives, and also over time as being very helpful. Um, at the same time, I think there are different categories of things where I sense that some things are more absolute and some things are and objective and other things more subjective. So for example, my wife and I have an argument. She has her reality, I have my reality. I need to be open to understanding it. And so being open-minded is valuable. Uh, then you, you mentioned the kind of political systems sort of uh, analogy or example. Uh, and then we talked about science and the reality of gravity. And for most cases, gravity on this earth is true. It is, it is the case that uh, it's predictable and likely. Uh, so it seems like there is a continuum of what is more reliably, objectively true for everybody and what is more subjective and more individual. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, um, yeah, by and large, I think that's true. At the same time, uh, who knows what will be discovered about gravity? 
who knows what is yet to be discovered or determined. So that's what I mean about holding it lightly. As as you say, you know, it would seem (laughs) that gravity is a given. I wish I could remember what I read recently. But... I'm sorry? I don't know if that's the story you heard, but that gravity is a wave or they're having... They're finding out what gravity is. Maybe. So I don't know if that's what you heard. Because up until very recently, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, it's more we noticed that the impact and how it works, but they couldn't identify what it is. Maybe Maybe that's it, yeah. So, so that's a very good example of how it's not necessarily that the truth will change, but expand if we understand what gravity is, how it works. It may still operate in the same way, but we have a broader understanding. Um, and uh, when you and your wife have a discussion and you each have a different point of view, what happens then? Do you, are, you, are you able to just have different points of view? Or is there, do you have to come to an agreement? Or Just depends on the situation. Sometimes we can resolve it. Sometimes we don't resolve it. We agree to disagree. Sometimes it lingers. So it just depends. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's okay just to see it differently. And that doesn't make her wrong and you right, or are you wrong and her right. It's just different. Yeah. Great. Okay. Do you want to hand her that? Oh. Random comment, but about gravity, it's, um, I mean, so many religious uh, traditions and and spiritual traditions have, uh, including Buddhism, talk about other beings and other realms, and there, that they might defy gravity, or there might be a reforming of gravity in these other ways that we couldn't conceptualize. So mm-hmm. that understanding of gravity is challengeable, or like our concept of it would might be challenged mm-hmm. by other. Um, discoveries, Mm -hmm. uh, revelation, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. things like that. Like, I I don't know, I can't describe it. So we have this concept of gravity, but meanwhile, like Buddha, you know, welcomed in other beings that would traverse gravity in different ways Mm -hmm. that we can. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Right. Change gravity. That's right. And the laws of gravity. One thing that's helped me try to loosen up my grip on things I think are true, like gravity, for example, or anything, um, is to put my mind back into that time, to imagine living in a time when we really thought the world was flat. Mm-hmm. Like That's what we believed. Mm-hmm. We believed it. Mm-hmm. You know, we tested, we did everything we thought, and that's what we believed. That was mm-hmm. the fact. Mm-hmm. Or the, you know, planets revolved around us. And so if we were capable of that then, then we're still capable. Of, we're still doing that now. Yeah. I'm still doing that now. And it just helps me to think, okay, you know, like <laughs> gravity, I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it certainly is what we understand now. But, uh, and, and that's the point. If we can hold it that way, this is the way we understand it now. And, and you know, when it was discovered the world wasn't flat, <laughs> it took a long time for a lot of people to accept it because there was, you know, it was so solid. That's how it was. And like you said, at that time, 
everything had been done to determine that's how it was. So it was very hard to let in the new information. Yeah. Yeah. But I think so, so important that we hold things, this is how we understand it now. So we don't just discard it. We go, oh, well, you know. But, but we hold it lightly because we know that when we find another galaxy or whatever, it might change. It might change. And, and I really want to underscore that, that holding it lightly doesn't make us wimpy or sloppy or, you know, we can hold it lightly and act as if it were true. But we hold the understanding that at some point, just like the flat world, it may change. It may, or our understanding of it may change. Yeah. And imagine if we all held things that way, including ourselves, if we held ourselves more lightly and we held each other more lightly. Maybe there wouldn't be the need to <laughs> to kill each other over it, you know? Maybe we could enjoy our differences and and not kill each other over them. Okay? Let's just sit for one minute. May I and all beings be happy. May I and all beings be peaceful. May I and all beings be free of our suffering. Thank you all and have a good rest of your day.